Welcome to the Kaiser Education Series. My name is Gabe Derman, and I'm a human performance and education specialist at Kaiser. I'll be moderating today's panel alongside my teammate, Mike Compton. Today's discussion is focused on the topic of building champions, both at the individual and team level, and what it takes to achieve long-term sustained success. We are joined by two legendary and decorated coaches, and it's truly our privilege to sit down with them today. Our first panelist is Coach Mike Kendrea. Coach Kendrea is the NCAA softball leader and wins as a coach. Are you ready for this? 1,674 wins in 34 plus years of coaching. He was the fastest coach in any sport, any division to 1,600 wins. He led the University of Arizona to eight national championships, the most in NCAA softball history, 24 trips to the Women's College World Series, and 53 All-Americans during his tenure. Very impressive. He served as head coach for the USA softball Olympic team, taking gold in Athens in 04 and silver in Beijing in 08. I don't claim to know a lot, but I believe that's pretty good. Our second panelist is Coach Frank Bush. In 22 seasons as head coach at the University of Arizona, Coach Bush led both the men's and women's swim programs to national championships. A six-time NCAA Coach of the Year, his teams won 49 individual and 31 relay NCAA national titles. He was named to numerous international coaching staffs for USA Swimming, including both the 2004 and 2008 Olympic Games. He served as national team director for USA Swimming for both the London Olympics in 2012 and the Rio Olympics in 2016, where Team USA earned over 60 medals combined. Mike Compton, I think it's safe to say these two Hall of Famers know a thing or two about winning championships. I'd agree. So, yeah. So, uh, Coach Mike, Coach Frank, welcome and thank you for being with us here. I have to start with your picks for the NCAA men's and women's tourney. Uh, Coach Kondreo, I understand you're in Sacramento with the team right now. We've got both the U of A as a number two seed in men's tourney and number seven seed in the women's tourney. I want to know what your picks are, and then we'll go over to Frank. Oh, well, obviously my picks are Arizona. So <laughs> <laughs> what else am I going to say? As a layup. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel, pretty, I feel pretty good that this team could make a deep run, but you know how it is at this time of the year. It's You have to be good, but you also have to be lucky. So. We'll, we'll find out beginning tomorrow. Yeah, and Coach Bush, uh, we've had some time. Layla Men's have a good, had a good run here and there, not in it this year, but you got Arizona Men's, I believe, uh, the women's side for Layla is there. Who do you got going in this tourney for both the men's and women's side? Well, I'm definitely picking Arizona because otherwise <laughs> I'd be run out of this town. <laughs> I could be, uh, the job he's in right now, and we'd probably both be on a golf course in some other place. <laughs> ah. It's not a bad consolation. No. So, uh, Frank, we understand you stepped down recently from the national team director position. Fill us in on what's been going on with you since then. Well, Gabe, I've, um, when I came back, I, I worked in a foundation with a gentleman who's extremely generous to the city and community of Tucson and the university. Um, and then uh, just recently stepped aside from that, been involved with the Boys and Girls Club on the board there for five or six years now. And I've uh, done some work with a local high school here in town, San Miguel, which is part of the Cristo Ray program. And I just got um, I just got involved with the National Football Foundation. And I know that sounds pretty strange from a guy who's been on a pool deck for 51 years of his life. But it just so happens that one of the, the gentlemen that asked me to join is a close friend, 
former football coach at the U of A. And um, so I've been keeping pretty busy and then I'm doing a little bit of speaking uh, on the side across the country. Great. Well, thank you for being here. And Frank uh, and, and Mike, actually, you announced your retirement following the 2021 season after a really long career, a very successful career. What have you been up to since then? Well, not much. Um, uh, a little bit of everything, really. Um, right now, I'm, I'm in a role as a special advisor to the athletic director here at the University of Arizona. So I've had an opportunity to to watch some other programs and learn from other coaches and doing a little mentoring, a little leadership training, um, doing some speaking uh, around the country, working with the uh, Italian national team um, as a consultant. So I've spent a good part of my time in Italy and uh, that's been a lot of fun. And it's something that we're really close to my heart because we're trying to grow the sport in, in Europe because that's one of the things that has kept us off the Olympic program. So uh, hopefully we can help the sport grow and help the Italians, which gives me a chance to give back to my heritage. You know, I, I, my, my grandfather was from Italy and came to New York and never had the opportunity to really spend a lot of time there. And so it's really been a blessing for me to be able to do something I love to do, but also to learn a little more about my heritage and, um, yeah. And when I'm not doing that, I'm playing golf. We're trying to play golf. <laughs> awesome. What, what a great experience for you now being able to give back in that way. And uh, that's incredible. Thanks to the both of you. So the conversation today will primarily surround what it takes to build champions, lead championship teams, and what it takes to achieve this long-term success. So let's dive in. I want to start with the beginning of your careers at the University of Arizona, where you both agree to become head coach. Can you provide us some insight on your vision for your respective programs. When you said, hey, this is our culture that we're gonna have here. This is how we're gonna win a championship here. What were the championship characteristics and behaviors you identified that you wanted your teams to embody? And Frank, we'll begin with you on this and then give Mike an opportunity to speak as well. First of all, I was uh, surprised that the University of Arizona hired me. I came from Cincinnati at the University of Cincinnati and um, uh, grew, grew the program there, but certainly not to the extent that it happened at Arizona. But a lot of businesses and organizations have mission statements, which I think are, are fine and that they're probably more for PR, I think, than anything else. For me personally, knowing that I'm you're working with college athletes that can make some pretty interesting decisions at times, I wanted to make sure that we had some pillars that everyone knew on the team that you, 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 they were not negotiable and they had to be because they represented everyone, not only everyone on their team, but obviously the, the athletic department and the university. So the pillars that I came up with were number one, show up, which mean you came to practice, which was never really a problem. Number two was to pay attention. Um, and I'm sure Mike will talk about paying attention to skills and things that are going on as you practice. The other is tell the truth, because if you don't tell the truth, then it becomes a snowball effect and it affects a lot of people. And the other, the last was honor your team with your effort. So to repeat it again, it was show up, pay attention, tell the truth and honor your team with your effort. Those were our pillars. And I believe that all programs have something similar to that. 
And following up on that real quickly, is that something that you developed or something that you developed with the athletes of your program? It's what I developed along the way in my career. Uh, again, knowing that you're working with kids between the ages of 18 and 22, and yes, are they going to go out and party too heavily on a Saturday night, or are they going to make some poor judgments or something like that? Absolutely. But when and and those you expect because that's the growing process of an individual. But when it comes to the effect on your team and what your team stands for and who they represent, they have to realize they're a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Awesome. Thank you. And Mike, uh, for yeah. you, same question. What were some of the championship characteristics and behaviors that you wanted your teams to embody? Yeah, well, I think a, a lot is um, Frank and I are very similar in, in a lot of ways. You know, I, I came from a junior college and um, when I came to Arizona, um, I was shocked that they hired me, number one being a male, um, coming from a baseball background and got talked into taking over the women's program in junior college and had some success. And I was really just happy to climb the ladder. I just thought that if I was going to coach, I wanted to coach at the next level and Arizona was that opportunity. And so when I came here, <clears throat> I felt like I could recruit um, quality kids um, I felt like I knew what it took to, to win. Um, so I, I definitely brought a vision of uh, hard work, <clears throat> of finding kids that are competitive. Um, and I think the big thing was trying to find kids that would hold each other accountable because that was a really difficult thing um, back in the 80s. Softball was not as big as it is today. And so I was blessed to kind of see the sport grow uh, be, you know, with my own eyes, um, from just a little bit above recreational ball. And, and I'll give you a story of the first practice I had at Arizona. I went out to, uh, our field at the time and it was a, pretty much a little rec field. And, uh, there was a bunch of people on the field and I go, Hey man, we got practice at two 30. And the guy goes, Hey, you have to wait till the PE class gets off the field before you can use the field. <laughs> so I thought, man, I've really arrived. You know, this is the big time. And, um, but it, it, it allowed me to follow my passion and my passion's always been the bat and ball game. And, and I loved the, I loved the process. I loved, um, helping young people grow. And, um, I think through the process I grew as a coach, because when I first got there, um, the only thing I was really concerned about was skill set. You know, I'd go out and find a kid that had the best skill set in softball and, felt like I could teach them all the intangibles. And I realized real quick that you can't do that. You know, there's a lot more to it. And a lot of it is their upbringing. And so later in my career, I really felt like it was trying to find kids of high character. Um, because if they have high character, then there's a lot of things that you don't have to worry about. You know, they're going to be good in the classroom. They're going to, you know, they're going to have a um, good work ethic. They're going to be a good teammate. You know, all the things that we try to put together. And so that's kind of how I kind of arrived there. It was like the first day was like, this is going to be hard work, you know, and trying and trying to convince a group of kids that have had never won, you know, they were good, but never great. Um, they were, their ambitions were not being in the top five, their ambitions weren't to win a national championship. So I don't know if it was 
culture back then because I don't really think the word culture was used in the early 80s, but I think I brought a whole set of expectations that were different. And um, I remember telling them that we're gonna win a championship whether you're with us or not. So here are the expectations and let's get to work. Right, exactly. And now I wanna go and ask a little bit about the staff that you put in place over the years from either the start or just over time and elaborate a little bit on the people you surrounded yourself with. Mike, we're going to start with you on that. How important was it to make sure that you had the right assistance and support staff in place? And on top of that, when you identify your potential colleagues, were you looking for people that were similar to you or different in terms of personality? You know, that's a great question. And I think one of the things that sometimes we don't realize is how important our village is, you know, um, to be successful. It takes more than just your coaches but it, it's everyone that you surround your program with, anyone that touches your athletes, they have to have a same, a common vision. And so that was the first thing I looked at is number one, do, do they have the same goals and expectations that I do? Um, you know, I, I think the other thing is I always look for people that were good teachers of the game, that, that were competent at what they did, um, that were consistent. You know, when they came to work every day, you saw the same person that, they had emotional stability because I think working with young kids, um, emotional stability is a big thing. And so that was a huge uh, red flag for me is when I went out and looked at people, I wanted to make sure that they were stable in their own life so that they could bring stability um, to these young people. And I wanted people that were different than me. Obviously, coaching softball, you know, my skill sets growing up, I was a hitting coach and an infield coach. So it's an obvious that you need to find someone that could teach pitching, uh, that could teach outfield play, could teach catching, and that were different because I always loved a different opinion. You know, I didn't want someone to just would shake their head and say, do it because coach said to do it. I wanted to be challenged too. And I think that's the only way you're going to grow is to surround yourself with people that are, that have a, a common vision, but are different. You know, they bring a different approach to the, party every day and um, that that was a challenge I mean um, one of the challenges I had was uh, you know hiring some former players that former players aren't always great coaches you know they could be a great player but they they, they may not be able to they may not be able to, to differentiate black and white you know there's a gray area that we work with all the time with young kids and I, I had some that it's either do it their way or, or there's not any other way. And I totally disagree with that. There's a lot of ways to play our game, a lot of ways to skin the cat and everyone's different. And um, so you have to treat them differently. Right. Awesome. So what I hear from you is finding people who are different from you, but those people also shared a common goal and vision, had the same goals and expectations uh, that you had, which is great. So Frank, how about yourself when looking for people uh, and identifying potential colleagues as support staff or assistant coaches? Are you looking for people who are similar to you or different or, or what in general were you just looking for? I think I would probably start with, certainly I wanted those that were enthusiastic about the sport and had proven that they knew enough about the sport that not only were they 
able to teach certain things, but they were anxious to learn things as well. And so as well as having standards and values similar to those that I had, that they would share that with me. Um, I, I, I wanted to be around people that love the sport, that wanted to accomplish things in the right way, would not take any shortcuts, and were patient enough to see the process through. Because it's um, in our particular sport, I think in all sports, it's a, it's a matter of are there goals or is it the process? And I'm a big believer in the process because whatever you do on a daily basis will add up in the end toward that goal. But if you're not involved in the process every day, the goals will never be reached. So I look for individuals that were like to think out of the box a little bit, challenge me some, um, love to be around young people and share that kind of energy. Hey, Frank, piggybacking off the process, let's focus strictly on the collegiate setting in regards to recruiting. How do you ID talent and what's your process in recruiting? Do you focus a little bit more on the, the talent? Hey, this, they have championship DNA, they're a stud athlete, or are you looking for somebody that maybe fits your behaviors of show up, pay attention, tell the truth, support your teammates? or somewhere in between, how do you operate? Well, I think the years of 18 to 22 are amazingly capable growth years for those that want to grow. And so from a recruiting standpoint, you obviously look for talent. And in my sport, it's a little bit different because um, it, it's not a subjective, it's an objective sport. Whoever touches the wall first, whatever they're, whatever the stopwatch reads, uh, you can identify talent that way. But you look a little bit deeper than that. You look, you, you, want, it, you want to make sure that they want to be, some, be part of something that's bigger than themselves, for sure. And they want to be involved in something that represents others that they, that represent the same things that they think about. So recruiting is a process where you look at a lot of different factors besides personality and talent. You kind of look at their competitiveness and whether or not they want to be a part of something that's going to be different than anything they've ever been a part of before. And it, so we'll talk a little bit more as you, later about the way in which process and goal. But for me, it's looking at the kids that... Um, you, you just kind of know once you begin to ask some questions about them and about their parents, you begin to find out a little bit more about their background and what they're, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, if you let someone talk long enough, they'll tell you what they think. And then is it the same thought process when you get up to the Olympic level or is it a little bit more, like you said, objective? Hey, you know, we got to hit our times. This is the Olympic national team. So how do you kind of focus in bringing the right talent up to that next level? Well, we had a little bit different set of pillars um, for the Olympic team. And um, respect was the first one. Uh, unity was the second one. Or, yeah, pride was the second one. And unity was the third one. So respect for not only your teammates, but your competition. Um, the pride that you would be representing millions of people in your country 
and the unity effect of when we walk out there together, it's us versus other countries, not just other teams. So it was a little bit different along those lines. And, and obviously we're dealing with the best of the best of the best. So the way in which you put together a team like that, and certainly Mike has experience in that same level is a little different than how you recruit your college team. Great. And, and Mike, kind of sticking on that theme of the Olympic team, because you kind of touched on the college already when it comes to recruiting, talking about finding kids that are competitive, accountable, but also have high character. What's your approach when you get to that national team? Well, the national team is um, completely different because it's basically result oriented. Um, we have a selection process and, um, you know, you try to identify the best skilled players um around the country but then you bring them to a place where they're competing against one another and so it's it's a little bit different you know i think college is a lot harder because i've got to walk into a home and i got to project what this kid's going to be like four years from now where at the olympic level we had the stats in front of us on what these kids did in college so we were just trying to define great players that were going to be great teammates because that was a big difference at the Olympic level because they weren't all starters. And so I was really concerned more about having the best team. So the, the, the group that would make the best team versus the best individuals, um, because that, that, that would, that could cause some danger at the Olympic level, you know, and I think there's just so much pride in the Olympic games, like Frank said, that you're looking for people that, that really love to put on that USA uniform and it means something to them. And um, they're going to do everything they can to make sure they take care of their sisters on the right side and the left side. And because um, it's very unique that you get to train for four years for one week of competition. So you also have to have people that are good, um, that are emotionally, emotionally stable but that are very good um, practice players because we practiced a lot more than we played. And so it was, it was trying to find that right balance between the great athlete and the great teammate and who was going to be able to handle that. So Mike, with that being said, how do you set the tone? You know, you're four years out, new team, Olympic team shows up. Are you setting an expectation for year one, a little bit more tactical focus? You know, we're focusing on, on practice and then maybe year four, you're setting a goal and expectations mentally. Hey, you know, we're getting a little bit closer to the Olympic games. So how do you address the team so far out, but also kind of navigate that long term leading up into competition play? Yeah, you know, I think most of the kids walking into that room know the task at hand. So you don't have to spend a lot of time. You know, we're here to win a gold medal. Um, but I think the one difference that I had that I had to get used to was all the resources that I had with the Olympic team that I didn't have at the college level. And so you, you, now all of a sudden you have the biomechanist and the exercise physiologist and the nutritionalist, and you got all these people involved in your athletes. One of my biggest challenges was to make sure that we were all on the same page. And so I started a performance enhancement team that would meet once a week 
everyone that touched one of our athletes would get in the room together and talk about our athletes because I, I felt like there was a disconnect when I first started, you know, the, the guy in the, the weight room didn't know what we were doing on the field. The, you know, the exercise physiologist is trying to tell me that I'm going to kill the kids because I'm not giving them enough rest and recovery. So there was a lot of things that I had to balance with that Olympic team. Um, but I had more resources to balance with that because the tough part was making sure that you're peaking at the right time, you know? And so you, you have to have a plan. You have to have a, a very good plan on, on your competitions, on your practices, on your training sessions to make sure that you're not, you know, you're not burying your kids before it's August and it's Olympic, Olympic medal time, you know? So that was, that was a unique part with the Olympic game. Now that's an interesting approach, like enhancing the performance multidisciplinary team to make sure that we have our athletes primed and prepped because they're pretty much autopilot. You have all the best of the best, but how do we take them to the next level? Well, that's going to come from the coaching aspect. Frank, you kind of touched on the process and it's a little bit more important than goals. So do you ever set an expectation of an end goal per se, or is it, Hey, Let's just follow the process and it'll lead to where we need to. Um, and maybe if you want to either talk about college or Olympic, we'd love to see the, the differences between the two. So my approach is definitely about the process. And I, I look at it from a standpoint, if, if you put a few days of good practice together, you have a good week. If you put some good weeks together, you've got a good month. If you put some good months together, you're going to have a great season. So it's, it's about what you do with every opportunity that you have, because if you don't look at it that way, you can be as farsighted as you want to be looking for whatever it is in months away, but it has to be done on a daily basis. And from an Olympic standpoint, our team has chosen roughly about five weeks prior to the Olympics. We, we know that historically we're at our best uh, anywhere from 28 to roughly 33 days when our Olympic trials finish to when the first day of the games begin. So for us, it's a matter of selecting the team, putting them together right after the competition, the Olympic trials. And in, in our particular case, it's strictly objective. It's not about personalities. It's about if the first two hands on the wall out of a hundred and some on competitors, they're going, they're, they're making the Olympic team. So we get that group together and we talk a little bit about what the expectations will be. And then they'll go home for probably about four or five days. And the whole goal there is to get together with your, the media in your town your uh, the city or wherever you live and get that out of the way because that's making the olympic team is going is big news for your community for your family for your team and for your area and once they've kind of done that then we regroup we come together and we start our training camp and then we begin to talk about all right this is what we this is where we are this is what we want where we want to be at the end of this this training camp as we move to the next training camp. And then once we move into the Olympic Village, which is usually about four days prior to the first day of competition. So there's a lot of 
Mike talks about the process and the various things. I mean, we faced a lot of different things in, in 08. Um, NBC wanted it, wanted swimming live. So they, instead of having the preliminaries in the morning as they normally would be in the finals at night, they flipped that. So the finals were in the morning in Beijing so they could be live in the United States at night. And then our prelims, the preliminaries were at night. And then when we went to Rio, the preliminaries began at one o'clock in the afternoon and the finals were at 10 o'clock at night, which is completely different. Normally it's a 10 o'clock um, for prelims and a seven o'clock for finals. So, you know, we had kids going to bed at two o'clock in the morning after they finished finals at night. And sometimes they had to swim the next day. So there's, there's all sorts of different planning. And just as Mike was talking about the, um, your staff and the preparation and the coordination is critical. Awesome, Frank. Thank you for contrasting your experiences within the college setting and the Olympic setting when it comes to goals. Uh, Mike, Andrea, same question for you, but in the collegiate setting, when you are getting ready for that first meeting of the year in the fall and you bring the team together and you're talking about uh, expectations for the year and, and what we're going to be doing moving forward and how we're going to achieve them, are you highlighting Pac-12 championship, uh, birth for Women's College World Series, national championship, and then talking about how you're going to go and achieve that? Or are you not even mentioning that to begin with? Yeah, that, we never mention that because that that's a given. I mean, you, you come to Arizona because you want to play for a national championship. So for me, it was, it was more about um, early in the year about setting expectations for individuals to try to become 1% better every day. I'm, I'm just like Frank, very process oriented. I really don't worry about December. If I'm in August, I'm worrying about where my feet are right now and that's today. So trying to get kids to, to understand how important it is to get the most out of every day. And for, for me in our sport, see, we, pay, we, we play a game of failure. So we spent a lot of time on failure recovery in our sport. So a lot of times it's not so much the skills, but it's the game that we play. And the built-in part of the game is that you're going to fail more than you're going to be successful. So how are you going to handle that? And I think that's a big part. I know with the Olympic team, the one thing that was very unique for me to watch was we had certain kids that were really good at putting themselves in the Olympic arena in the gold medal game when they were in San Diego training, you know, that they could visualize playing Japan and kind of almost rehearsing that performance. And I think for our sport, that's a big part of it is, is being able to rehearse and, and put yourself in the Olympic venue or at the college world series or wherever it may be, you know, it may be conference play each and every day. So you, because if you don't, you're, you're practicing at this level and you're going to end up trying to play at this level doesn't work. So trying to get yourself to practice at this level is my biggest concern. So it was really uh, about kind of giving them the map of what it's going to look like, what our training is going to look like, um, why, is, why is it important, but also maybe some of the things that we had to do to become a better team, you know, because every year we've got different pieces. So you bring those different pieces in, they've got to fit in. 
And so it'll depend whether you have an older team or you have a younger team. I think it's, it's going to change your approach each and every year, what you're going to be talking about during that first meeting. Right. And I like the term that you use there for softball uh, failure recovery. That was great. I imagine it can apply for other sports as well. Like baseball, you won eight national championships. As you mentioned, it became an expectation there at the university of Arizona. And you already started right there, just talking about the different types of teams that you had as you sit back and reflect on all those teams that won national championships. Yeah. Did those teams all share a similar recipe or were they each unique in their championship makeup? Well, let's start by saying this, their cultures were all different because I think the culture, the culture develops from the inside out. I used to think as a young coach that I would develop the culture from the outside in. So every team has their own culture, but there are some common themes, I think, with our good teams. And foremost, it's they were very competitive. Second thing is they held each other accountable. And the third thing is they enjoyed the process. They, they celebrated the small victories. They could do that. And um, I think every good team that we had did that in their own way. But um, those are very common, common themes of every team that I had. Right. So we're starting to see some themes here appear in our conversation, right? That's like the second or third time you've heard accountability and also the term process. So that's nice to hear from the both of you. And Frank, as we mentioned, you aided in over 60 Olympic medals, 49 NCAA individual titles, relay national championships. Not only that, but I found this really awesome. Your Arizona swim teams finished in the top five 27 times. So you were a model of consistency in terms of success. How are you able to sustain success over such a long period of time? I think once you reach a certain point and and um, as Mike talked about the expectations, you really don't even have to mention expectations. It's just part of the personality. So it starts with that, uh, choosing to come to Arizona. And then it's, I think what's, what, what makes it so, so a lot of fun, but also a challenge is picture you have, um, you have a bunch of people standing in the pasture, so to speak. And you have those that kind of a collection in the middle a little bit, some that are a little bit away from the center, and then you've got those that are right on the fence lines. And the fence line is the place where you can't cross over. But their personality, you want you don't want you don't want a bunch of clones. You want their personalities to be a part of the program, a part of the team. So you encourage that. You could call it their hubris. You could call it whatever you want to call it, but it's you want their personality to be part of the group. So you just don't they just can't wander outside the fence, so to speak. They can't they can't go where it harms the team, but you want their input because it's going to be different. It's going to be unique. Their energy is going to be a little bit different. So as as you put a begin to put the various teams together that have different personalities and they're obviously similar personalities because they start as a freshman and they're with you for four years and sometimes longer, depending on how long they stay in the sport. It's, it's, it's fascinating to watch it develop and it, a lot of it develops on its own, its own personality. As far as the groundwork though, um, 
what we talked about earlier about the, the pillars, as long as everyone knows what that's all about, then you encourage the personalities to come out of each individual. Awesome. Well said. And Mike, to you, I think I read somewhere you never had a losing season and you made the postseason 34 years in a row. That's unbelievable. And I know this is an oversimplistic and kind of general way to ask this, but we're really curious to know how. <laughs> Wish I could answer the question. You know, I mean, I, I think the one thing that I was good at was um, focus. And when I talk about focus, I talk about being where your feet are. Like today's the most important day that I have. And I was one that never looked forward too far and never looked back. You know, so um, if you if you could recruit the right kids and you had the right culture um, and the expectations were met every day, um, it, it leads to consistency. And, and I mean, that's about as simple as I can say it, you know, it's, it's not something I ever thought about. I mean, it's, it's like my career um, went by like this and there was never a time when I was thinking, Oh God, you know, how many more years do I have? It just, it was, following your passion and doing what you love to do. Um, but the other thing I think was, and Frank was a big part of this, because, you know, Frank, I got a chance to, to be there when Frank was there and was always marveled by his success with both men and, and females, because they're completely different, you know. Um, but the one thing that um, I heard him say one day is you, you have to coach the person before you can coach the athlete. And I think that's one of the things that I became good at was not worrying so much about the athletic success, but worrying about developing young women that could go on in life. And so I spent more time teaching life skills than I did teaching the game of softball. And it just so happened that that just turned into a formula for them understanding how to be successful. Does that make sense? Mike, sticking with that, then, is that like your approach to leadership and leadership style is like, these are the expectations of the culture, the culture kind of develops in itself, because we have a winning mentality. So is your leadership a little bit more off the field in your approach? Well, I, I would say that I'm, I would define my leadership style as a servant leader. Um, only because um, I always felt like my job was to take care of the people that I'm leading. Okay. And I think that's, I don't know where that came from, whether it was my upbringing or what, but I was always good at taking care of my village. And, and to me, I think that was a big part of our, our success consistently because I had the same people for a long time because they liked to work for me. You know, but the other thing is um, they knew that I cared about them as individuals also. And so um, if I look at myself right now, I would say, yeah, I was a servant leader and, and you're only as good as the people and how you treat people. And it's, it's a pretty simple formula. You know, you treat people the way you want to be treated and you want to treat people with respect, um, you know, with dignity and um I guess that's the way I've been, I, I was brought up, you know, but I know that's one of my biggest fears right now with young coaches is that they, they don't spend the time or they don't see the village. They, they think they're in a bubble by themselves 
And next thing you know, they forget about the people that are, that can help them be successful. You know, if you don't care who gets the credit, then you're going to be much more powerful moving down the line. And so I think that's one thing I see right now in today's world, it's completely different. I mean, there's so many variables that Frank and I didn't have to deal with, you know, the NIL and the transfer portal and, you know, all this stuff. I mean, I knew I was going to get a kid for four years, sometimes five years. Well, today, these poor coaches are re-recruiting their, their, their own kids all the time because the generation they're coaching, unfortunately, one of their traits is they're not very loyal. <laughs> and so you take that not very loyal with the transfer portal and you got the Wild Wild West, and that's what we're, we're seeing right now. Yeah, I mean – then it falls back on that leadership and coaching. How do you adapt to different generations? And I think you're spot on. I think this is a very challenging last few years for coaches, um, just adapting to the nuances in the sport of college athletics. Yeah, and I also think I've learned a lot about leadership um, during crisis. You know, for the first time going through COVID uh, was a very challenging time for some people because they weren't taking care of their people. They weren't used to taking care of their people. And it, it was a little easier for me because that's one of the first things I, that I think about is taking care of my people. You know, I get up every morning and the first thing I do is I've got every kid's birthday in my planner and I text them a happy birthday. You know, just that contact, that little five, 20 second contact made a big difference during COVID. And I think the programs that really suffered were the ones that probably had leadership that weren't servant leaders. They were, you know, they were expectations only. And, um, and so that was kind of interesting to watch um, the different people and the struggles that they had going through COVID because that was a challenge. So, Frank, kind of staying along the lines of leadership and your staff, do you give them autonomy on, like, their own expectations and kind of giving them freedom to coach their athletes? Or do you live on a foundation, this is how we operate as, you know, Arizona swimming, but from there, there's different levels. So how do you lead within your own team and then maybe groom uh, potential new leaders to then carry on their own career? For me, um, the idea of growth is the main ingredient to success. If I could, I always felt like if I could get an individual to grow, making them fast in the pool would be a piece of cake. Because personal growth, think about, look at it from a standpoint of of um, the, 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 the hurdles that you face in life, the problems that you face, if you become a better problem solver, you become, they become less problems. So the better, the, the better you are at solving problems, the less problems you seem to have. And, it, and that's the way you move through it. And all of a sudden, instead of being insecure, you're very secure because you can, you feel like you can handle things that are thrown your way. So a lot of times in our, our meets and in practice, I would do some, 
some things that were would take kids completely out of their routines to prove that they were capable of doing things without all the routine that they be, had become accustomed to. And so as far as my staff is concerned, that was the biggest thing that I wanted to make sure that they were on the same page with me, that we want these athletes to grow. And the only way we're gonna get them to grow is to challenge them in ways in which they can become better person, better problem solver, have less problems, have less anxiety because of that, therefore be more focused. And so th that was that was always the way I looked at things. If I could get you to grow as a person, making you fast in the water, piece of cake. So as a very individualized sport with swimming to an, to an extent, how, and sticking with the growth aspect, do you let leaders grow on their own within a team? So it's like supporting your teammates, even though it is an individualized sport. Um, like how, how do you find your leader amongst your athletes? Do you appoint somebody or is it, hey, this person problem solves, they continue to grow. Let's use them as an example and maybe they will blossom to a leader. So how does that work with a little bit more of an individualized sport kind of like focusing on growth as an athlete and then maybe appointing a leader. Loaded question, apologies. No, 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 no. I think it's, it, it, it's, it becomes obvious over a period of time. And so th their personalities, um, some are a little bit more introverted, some are more extrovert, uh, how, they, how they see things, how they approach things. They're, they're together so often, so much of the day. They're together for two practices a day, early morning, afternoon. They're together in study sessions. They're together, they go out to eat together on occasion. They're together a lot. So it's without a doubt, it's, it's a very team oriented thing because training with one another is just like Mike was saying with the Olympic team, you, you, you train against one another and, and it just makes you better. And that's how you look at that. But as far as the individual growth, you try and nurture that as much as you can in everyone. And as far as leadership growth, that usually comes as time evolves. You begin to see it in the individuals and, and their teammates see that too. And, and they're usually the ones that are voted to be the captains. Like it? Do you do team voting, captain voting? Yes, okay. same, and that's done at the Olympic team as well. Awesome. And then just really quick, if the is the captain always open and you know honoring being voted, or will there ever be pushback? Has there ever been pushback? I don't think I can lead. Occasionally, someone would be voted captain, and and they would want to come and talk to you about it. And I think what's important about having a captain is a captain is, is, is sort of your, your go-between with the team. You, you don't wanna put so much pressure on them or ask them to do so much that it takes them out of what they're trying to accomplish to be a part of the team and as an individual. You basically want just to remind them that, let me know if, if there is something that's happening with the team that I need to know about that I don't know about, but whatever you do, do not take it upon yourself to be the, um, the, the sheriff of the team. Got it, love it. Mike, 
your perspective, let's focus on college a little bit here. How, how do you rise or make a, a leader um, each year, especially when you're winning year after year? Well, I think it's very interesting because uh, on, on my side, um, I, I've never had a captain. <laughs> and um, the reason being is because I, I feel like we have different types of leaders in our program. We have some that are the vocal leaders, some that are the nurturers. And in, in, in our climate, it, the people that step, step up are usually ones that the, the cream kind of comes to the top. I mean, they, they have the leadership skills, they embrace the leadership skills and their teammates follow them. Because I think um, it can be very devastating when you may select the wrong leader um, you may think that this kid could be your best leader. And I mean, I've been there and the team may not feel the same way. So I understand the voting part of it. Um, but I have 18 or 20 players. I expect 18 or 20 to be a leader. And if they're not a leader, I spend a lot of time on teaching them how to follow, because I think it's important. If you're not going to be a leader, then you need to be a follower. And I think you need to spend time teaching kids how to follow. And um, that, 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 that's kind of an interesting thing. And, and, and that's one of the reasons that it's really tough sometimes for us to have um, kids that will hold each other accountable, you know? And they think that the leader needs to be the senior when sometimes it's not the senior. It may be the, you know, a dynamite freshman. And in our game, you have to be a good player to be a good leader. You can't be a, a leader and not be a good player. So it, it goes hand in hand. And so I'm very careful with that. I kind of let the dynamics kind of take care of themselves because um, sometimes I have no idea who the voice really is in the room when I'm not there. Would you agree that a good player who's accountable has aspects aspects of leading and following, so knows how to switch it on and switch it off. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Awesome guys. Well, thank you, and um, some really unique perspectives there. I mean, Mike talking about and recognizing if you pick the wrong leader, uh, what that can do to a team, which I think is an important thing to hit on. Uh, I've seen some teams like that, so. Um, really unique also. And to kind of let things play out uh, is an interesting take too, but obviously one that has been successful for you. And then Frank, for you also mentioning things like growth being an ingredient to success, uh, helping develop uh, problem solving skills and the importance of that. I really appreciate all that insight. Question I have for the both of you, and we'll start with Mike. So what was the biggest piece of advice that you got when you were first starting your coaching career? Um, be yourself, <laughs> be yourself, follow your passion and, um, and, and trust, trust your decisions. I think that's one of the things that you see a lot of is people that just, they have a hard time making a decision and then they have a hard time trusting their decision. And, um, so that's probably one of the greatest pieces of advice that I got, um, you know, my dad, my dad always said, if you got a kid that's keeping you up at night, get rid of them. That was another good piece of advice that I kind of followed me through my career, you know, because there's a lot of times when you think you can change a kid, but then 
if they don't want to be changed, it's it, it can cause problems for a team sport for everyone. And so um, I've had some situations where I was kind of put in a corner and I look back at my career and there were some decisions I had to make. And if I would have made the wrong decision, it probably would have affected many years down the road. And um, luckily, I always kind of followed my um, my moral compass, you know, and that was kind of my my leader, because um, at the end of the day, you know, I've, I've it's just a game, you know, the game is never going to get life threatening on any kid that played for me because I've had some bigger losses in my own life. I mean, I lost my wife, um, perfectly healthy one moment gone the next. And after that happens, it's like, this is a game. I mean, it, it's, it really is at the end of the day. Yes. I'd love to win a gold medal. And, and I still think about that silver medal. It gives me chills, but there's much bigger things that are more important. And I think that's why I really, I've always loved what Frank did. Having number one, he had both men and women, which is a very difficult thing. I always wondered how you could separate those two because they're different. Um, but number two, he did such a good job developing young people as much as he developed swimmers. And, and I think if you, if you follow your moral compass and, and, and realize that if you spend your time on developing that person, um, because my job in softball is to get them ready for life after softball. None of them are going to make a million dollars playing the game. So why not use that as a platform to help them learn how to be successful in anything that they choose? And um, so, yeah, it, that, that's been my biggest thing, you know, finding, finding some work-life balance. We all talk about that. That's very difficult. When you're trying to achieve excellence, it's hard to have balance, but I had to find that because I, you know, I was a guy that I used to commute 72 miles one way to work. <clears throat> so I'd get up in the morning, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, get up and do it again. And for many years, I didn't even know what my kids needed. And so there's some things in the profession that I'm, I wish I could get back. I wish I was smarter at trying to find that balance, but I didn't have it, you know, and it was my son's the one that woke me up one day and said, Hey, dad, would you, would you consider dropping out of the USA coaching pool so that you can watch me play baseball? You know, and it hit me with a ton of bricks to say, you know what, it's more important that I'm his dad than winning all these championships. And so I think once I understood the balance part, you know, between my family being, you know, my profession, when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm at, when, I'm at, when I'm at home, I need to be at home. I wasn't really good at that. I was at home, but I was really at work, you know. And, and then my faith is a big part of my life, you know, because it's the only way I've gotten through what I have. And so I think sometimes those trials and tribulations you go through make you kind of rethink. I wouldn't change anything, but if there's one thing I could change, I wish... I wish I would have moved my family to Tucson earlier so that I could have spent more time with my own kids. Cause I, at the end of the day, I spent more time with other people's kids than my own. And I just say that because as a young coach, that's a challenge in today's world. Our coaches today want work-life balance. They're used to it. And you know, what caused that was COVID realizing that they could do things at home like we're doing right now. And so it's kind of changed everything. Um, compared to where we were in 85 when 
We didn't even know what a hell a computer looked like, you know? <laughs> I mean, Frank and I went through the year. We didn't have cell phones, you know, computers and all this stuff, yet we got our job done. And today, I know in the Olympic Games, one of the biggest problems or one of the biggest things that we tried to prepare our kids for was the um, distractions when they got the Olympic Games. And the distractions came from their family and their friends. You know, and you wouldn't think about that, but I, Frank can say it, it's just the, the, the biggest problem at the Olympic Games is people change. They try to do too much. They try to do more. Coaches change their approach because it's a big venue and it's a big deal. And that's the worst thing that you can do. So I've always tried to be myself and um, I have stolen from other people, you know, Frank being one of them but many of them to kind of tweak some of the things that I did. And then you kind of find your own philosophy. But at the end of the day, it's, for me, it's all about being competent at what you do, you know, being caring for young people and being compassionate, you know? And if I, uh, yeah, yeah. Kids, well, kids today call me up, they don't say, hey coach, thanks for teaching me how to defend that first and third, you know? Thanks for being my dad away from home. Right. So. Yeah, well, that's awesome. And thank you for sharing a few bits of personal information yeah. there and how those things help you gain perspective and now helping us and our listeners gain perspective. So we appreciate that. Going over to Frank here, for you, what was the biggest piece of advice that you got when you first started your coaching career? Mike said a lot of wonderful things. That's, that's he did. why he so successful and uh, i i think moral compass is a is a great word as a matter of fact uh, i would suggest to coaches today that instead of following a map they follow a compass uh, because that's how the world has changed i don't think it's it's a pres you know, it's a prescribed road that you're on i think it's a direction that you take i also think that uh, being able to admit that you've made a mistake that was, that was really important in my young coaching career. I think also, um, without a doubt, that one of the best books I've ever read about leadership was called Leadership is an Art. It's by Max Dupre. Somebody could read it in a couple hours. It's only maybe 100 pages long. And it's all about servant leadership. And maybe the best book I ever read about leadership. And then one of the things that Mike said that I, I think is critical because I've seen it, unfortunately, I've seen it um, done many, many times, and that is overcoaching at competitions. Particularly, I've seen overcoaching done at the highest level at the Olympic Games. Mm -hmm. You know, athletes, when you're preparing athletes and they come up to you right before they're ready to do what they're what they, what the, what God has given them the talent to do, they're just coming up for a, a one sentence reassurance. It's like you got this, or build this up, or in Mike's case, it might be just take the first pitch to just take some of the edge off here, or whatever it is. It's it's not about do this, do that, do this, do that. You don't want to confuse anyone prior to them being on. They've already done all the work through the routine, through the 
the um, dress rehearsal, which Mike talked about how important that is every single day in practice. So without a doubt, um, never overcoach at a big competition. And I learned that kind of the hard way. And I learned that fortunately early enough as a young coach. No, that's awesome. I, you, you thrust me into a place of thinking about championships and, and championship moments, which uh, I have a question now for Mike. Eight national titles. You have some pretty intense moments, right? Leading up to each championship run. But let's talk about specifically championship moment, fifth inning, sixth inning, close game, maybe even seventh inning, last out. And you're having those conversations, maybe a hitter or a batter. I'm, I'm piggybacking off of what Frank just said here. Maybe it's one sentence or two things, right? It might be specific for the person, but in those moments, right? And you've collected a lot of experience throughout your time. Those moments happen probably a little bit slower for you, but what types of things or what's your approach to when you're giving advice to an athlete uh, in those big moments or what you're saying to your team in big moments? Well, I think that I think kids will will pick up on your behavior, and so the the first thing is whatever you're going to say, it better be in a calming voice, because the last thing a hitter needs to hear, you know, standing in the on deck circle is you being excited about something. So, you know, we we've tried to slow the game down already. So every we've done all of our homework, and so for me, it's just about trust. It's about you you you. You're, you're ready for this moment. I'm always trying to build them up. You know, there's nothing that we haven't gone through that you're going to go through right now. So relax, breathe. I mean, simple things, but it's never a mechanical or technique type conversation. Mm -hmm. I've never had one of those. In fact, a lot of times it's, it's trying to, it, it might be just, making a kid laugh, getting her mind off a moment, you know? Right. But um, yeah, I think you've got to be very cognizant, very, very aware of your tone of voice and what you do, you know, because sometimes it's not what you say, it's, it's what you do and how you do it. And so I think they're looking for a little bit of a, a assurance and yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I, I actually told a kid what to do at the plate because I'm in a third base coaching box and it's usually a, you know, it's a clap, which right. means for them. It may be this, you know, it may be this. I mean, just simple cues to calm them down. Because at the end of the day for us, that's what it, we play a game of relaxed skills. So the, the only thing I'm really looking at is as a kid, are, are they not breathing? You know, is their heart starting to race? Is their breathing getting shallow? How can I get them to calm down? Right. And Mike and Frank, kind of a fun question for both of you. I'm going to go Mike, then Frank right afterwards. The eve of your first national championship, the eve of your last national championship, or even gold medal. Sleep quality, what was that like? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I mean, I wear a whoop every day. And um, it it blows up now and then. I mean, I'm not a great sleeper, but um, I, I, I can't, I couldn't tell you. I mean, it's like when you're in the moment, you know, especially in the Olympic Village, you're, you're never going to sleep really well because you got people all over the damn place, you know. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I don't have a good recollection other than I know that I wasn't pacing the floors. Um, I probably did sleep a little bit. It was probably a light sleep. And I probably visualized the game a thousand times before I got to the game. Mm -hmm. You know, Frank, how about yourself? I think when you reach that point, um, I think it's a matter of just um, knowing that there's really nothing else you can do. Your, your kids are prepared. You, you've done everything possible uh, to have them ready. They're, they're ready. So to think that you're going to sharpen the blade anymore is, is wasted energy and just causes for anxiety. So I think it's more of, um, I'm looking forward to the next day, looking forward to that night's finals. Looking forward to someone doing something that's going to be more special than you ever thought they could do. So for me, it was um, it was just it was just anti anticipating something good. So kind of sticking to the theme here, Frank. Let's start with you. Lots of accolades, lots of wins, championships, medals, trophies, Hall of Fame. As you sit back and reflect. What was the most rewarding part of your entire coaching experience? The relationships. The relationships. The just like Mike was saying, you you um whenever I see any of the old athletes, there's swimming's never talked about. It's how you doing, how are your kids, your folks doing okay? Um tell me something new in your life, what's going on? And it's just um the conversations are always about life and and they always they usually thank you they just say you changed my life you did this you did that whatever and i'm kind of one of those people that you know people ask ask me about things and and my my philosophy on life is um i, I wouldn't change anything in my past I just don't want to relive it. <laughs> I like it. Mike, knew, over to you. Oh, sorry, Frank, go ahead. No, I knew Mike would get a chuckle out of that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely the same. It's all about people. You know, I'm a people person, and that's probably why I, I do what I do. I mean, I, I love relationships. They mean a lot to me. And um, there's one, the game, the game ends, but the relationships always continue. And so I used to think I coached kids for four years and they'd leave me. They never leave me. I, I, I've got them for a lifetime. And, and you know what? I love that because I get to go to a lot of weddings and um, be a part of their life forever. And that's, that, that's the good feeling about it. That's awesome. I love it. Well, thank you both for your time. I truly appreciated hearing um, everything that you guys had to offer. I'm going to flick it over to Gabe to wrap it up. So thanks again. You got Gabe. it. Thank you. Hey, Mike Compton, before you sign off, I got to know men's and women's uh, NCAA tournament. Who are you going with? <laughs> I told you. No, I, I'm going to go to Mike Compton. I, 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 Andrea, oh, I, know Mike you, Compton? I, I know you got the Arizona Wildcats in both. It's going to be tough. I think it's an open playing field. I don't think there's one powerhouse at the moment. I'm going Houston men's. I think they're due. Sorry, Mike and Frank. 
And then for the women's, I'm going South Carolina. Yeah. Proven winners. So I would I'd take South Carolina. And I think Alabama's a tough team right now. Yeah, I agree. I'm going sleeper. My sleeper picks, UConn. Yeah. Alabama early. I'm done. I'm not giving away free advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think on the men's side, I'm going to go Houston Cougars. And on the women's side, I'm going to go with Kim Mulkey and the LSU Tigers. Oh, so. really? <laughs> they they got some tenacity. They got some swagger. So I'm going to I'm going to go with them. She can get back in the winner's circle there. So um, my two picks. So last question for the both of you. And again, we, we just really appreciate your time so much. This is great. We're, we're excited to just re-listen to this and digest and a lot of great nuggets in here for anyone who's going to be listening. But now, as you uh, have transitioned to your to your new roles, Mike Kendrea, you discussed a little bit about your free time activities. Is it mostly golf? You getting on the softball field at all? Uh, I, well, I'm on the softball field with the Italians um, right. and the consultant, but I'm not. Um, Are you hitting fungos? I, I'm not. I haven't hit a fungo since my last <laughs> practice, which is really strange. But um, golf is my passion. Um, right now um, I taught my wife how to play golf during COVID and uh, that has opened up many opportunities for me to bring my golf clubs and travel because she's enjoys the game all right and Frank how about yourself are you like strictly swimming pool what you know what kind of training do you got going on there um I work out almost every day uh, some spinning and lifting some weights. That's what I do personally. I'm not on a pool deck hardly ever. Um, I love to fish. So anytime I get opportunity to travel anywhere and fish, I do it. I play golf for recreation. I, I, I can't, um, I just, <laughs> I, I can't take it too seriously. Hey, we all do, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I just, uh, just try and enjoy the opportunity to, I want to give back as much as I can. I want to give back to this community. I want to give back to the university. I just, I've been given an incredible life and I have an opportunity now to give back and I want to do that. And you've done a good job of that. So Thanks, Mike. Congrats. Well, yeah, I, um, yeah, the only other thing I'd say is I've enjoyed my travels. Um, we've been able to go to uh, New Zealand. Um, for a couple of weeks, my wife's sister lives there. And so um, I ran out of excuses why I couldn't make the trip. So we got to do that. But that was a lot of fun. I've never fly fished in my life and caught a brown trout, which was a lot of fun. Um, but um, yeah, it's just it's fun to get up every day. And every day is a Saturday. And you can decide what you want to do. And that's what I love about it, you know. And I, I do lift twice a week. You know, 30 minutes and only 30 minutes, then I'm out. But I think that's the one thing I realized is, you know, retirement's great, but if you don't have your health, you really don't have anything. So got to take care of yourself. Yeah, that's Thanks. awesome. Terrific. And, and thank you both. And I think me and Mike Compton might have to come down to the next University of Arizona Boosters Golf Tournament in Tucson. So maybe we'll see you guys down there. We'll donate what we can. Uh, so, you know, another, uh, in, in line with a, another shared theme here, which was giving back with both, which both you had mentioned, which was terrific. So, 
just a huge, huge thank you to the both of you, our two panelists, Coach Mike Andrea, Coach Frank Bush, two individuals that have had an incredible impact on the sports of softball and swimming and on the lives of so many hardworking and talented athletes. To the both of you, we appreciate your time and thank you and have a great day.